Hey folks, it's Cody Stoffer with Playmakers Corner, here to tell you about Code Red Coaching. Competing in athletics means you've lifted the weights, you've watched film, and you've got the passion. Problem is, that's what everyone else in the state has done. Perfect your game by honing in on your mental performance with Code Red Coaching. Whether you are a team or an individual, Code Red Coaching has the tools to create mentally solid habits and set up you or your team for success. Find Code Red Coaching at coderedcoaching.com or call 720-979-1914 to learn more today. That's coderedcoaching.com or 720-979-1914 today. Now back to the show. Howdy, y'all, and welcome back to Playmakers Corner Podcast. I am your host for this episode, Cody Stoffer, and this is a fun one. Obviously, we are nearing the end of the... 2022 Colorado high school football season. So we are going to be talking about all the playoff games. Every other level 3A through 5A had semifinals. So we're going to be talking about those first. And then I am going to recap the 2A and 1A state championships. I'm not sure if it's going to be in that order. However, we will be working our way down through the classifications here. And I think that's something to be excited about. So the very first game... I'm going to be talking about here is the Ralston Valley and Valor Christian game. This was the two seed and the three seed squaring off from the tournament here. And this game could not be decided in regulation. So let's go ahead and walk through this here. Early in the game, Valor Christian starts with the football and they do punt it within the first couple of minutes of the game. But the defense would step up here. Rouse Valley driving all the way into Valor Christian territory. But Valor Christian getting an interception either by Trey Stott or Ethan Carlson. Not sure on the order that their interceptions happen. So a little bit of a spoiler alert there. However, Valor Christian now with the ball seven minutes ago in their own 20-yard line. Drives down here. And ends up with a 37-yard rushing touchdown from number 6, Roman Bradley, who turned up this game. And with the PAT good, Rouse, or Valor Christian would jump out to a 7 to nothing lead here. They would then force another Rouse and Valley punt, or force their first Rouse and Valley punt here with only a couple few minutes ago in the first quarter here. And Valor Christian would end up inside of Rouse and Valley's 20 before the quarter ended and so to start the quarter here uh asher weiner ended up with a long run here to set valor christian up on rouston valley's six yard line and then they would get a six yard rushing touchdown here and with the score being 14 to nothing rouston valley getting the ball would have a quick punt to valor and valor would then get another run from asher weiner from their own 48 all the way to rouston valley's 20 yard line However, this would be called back for holding. And, you know, even with the momentum here, you'd think with all these long runs Valor is generating that, oh no, is Valor going to just blow this out of the water again here in another semifinal game? However, the Ralston Valley squad would show some resolve here. Valor Christian, they'd get inside of Ralston Valley's 20. They would try a field goal that would be no good. And Ralston Valley would get the ball on their own 20-yard line. With about six minutes to go, they end up driving all the way to the one-yard line and end up facing a fourth down here with just under a minute left in the half and would complete a passing touchdown here to bring it within seven 
to 14. Now, Rouston Valley, they would start the half with the ball and they would come up big time here as Logan Madden would complete a 62-yard touchdown pass here to tie the game up still very early in the third quarter. The Rouston Valley Mustang defense is clicking now. They force a Valor Christian punt and give their offense the ball here with about eight minutes to go. But Rouston Valley would end up in a three and out very quickly here and punt to Valor Christian. Now, Valor Christian here with about six minutes to go in the third quarter would string together a few runs before, you know, Rouston Valley would end up with the ball here. Rouston Valley... Okay, so that was Trey Stott on the first interception here because here in the third quarter with three minutes to go, Ethan Carlson would intercept Logan Madden here and give Valor Christian the ball on their own 20-yard line. Roman Bradley would then rip off a long run all the way to the opposite 20-yard line, basically, of Ralston Valley here, setting up Valor Christian in the red zone with just about two minutes to go here. And Roman Bradley, who started this drive with the big run, would finish it with a six-point touchdown run, and the PAT would put them up 21-14. to At the end of the third here, Ralston Valley, they're going to end up having to punt uh, to basically start the fourth quarter here. And it's kind of a little bit of a stalemate here. Valor Christian responds with a punt of their own, and Ralston Valley then has the ball... Uh, inside of valor christian territory very quickly i might add here um before ending up inside of their 20 yard line and then with about six minutes to go rv finds himself on the six yard line where logan madden completes another touchdown pass here this time to tie the game up 21 apiece now valor christian with the ball on their own 30 yard line they actually get intercepted here and Ralston Valley will start on Valor Christian's 45-yard line with five minutes to go in this game here. They will pick up a few yards here and there to eventually get to the 30-yard line where Logan Madden completes his fourth touchdown pass of the day to put the Mustangs ahead 28-21 to here. Valor Christian with the football and three minutes to go on their own 44-yard line. They are trying to string together a game-tying drive here and they do so a few chunks at a time. And with under a minute to go, Gabe Sodchuk, the long-lost three-star here, winds up punching it in and tying this game up with under a minute to go. So, Ralston Valley here, they end up getting into Valor Christian territory, um, but there's just not enough time as Valor Christian gets a sack to end regulation. Now, in overtime, Valor Christian gets the ball in the first overtime here on the 10-yard line. They get a quick run to the seven and then another run to the three yard line before a three yard rushing touchdown puts Valor Christian ahead 35 to 28. Rouston Valley's turn here on Valor's 10 yard line. They complete a 10 yard touchdown pass here to tie it up with the PAT 35 to 35. Now it reverses here an RV in double overtime will start this segment here. And they would end up scoring a one-yard rushing touchdown. However, the point-after attempt is no good. And so they are up 41-35. to And it is up to the defense in the second overtime here to stop this Valor Christian rushing attack that has been so lethal here today. 
And so Valor Christian on the 10-yard line here. They're going to get a quick run and end up at the 6-yard line. Then they get another run to the 1-yard line. And Rasa Valley takes a timeout here. Up only 6 points. They really need to buckle down and stop Valor Christian here. But Valor would punch in the 1-yard rushing touchdown. And the PAT is good. Sending Valor to another state championship. I believe this is the fifth consecutive appearance for Valor Christian in state here. Look, if you are Rouston Valley, you had plenty of chances to win this game here. But ultimately, you know, that 14-point that fourth quarter was very nice to come back and give themselves a chance here, forcing that interception on Asher Weiner here. But this rushing attack for Valor and that, you know, McGatlin offense ultimately prevails here to send not only Valor to state for the second year in a row, but Brett McGatlin, Coach McGatlin that is, to state for the second year in a row with a different squad. So congratulations to McGatlin and this Valor team that I think really has strung together a bunch of quality wins here ever since that loss to that Arizona squad. I think that they are, you know, not... I wouldn't say that they're the most talented Valor squad that we've seen in the past half decade, but man, does this Valor squad have more grit than any other Valor squad that I've seen, and everyone is getting a chance to contribute here. Trey Stott here with a touchdown on two carries here, Jake Kriegler having 22 yards, Roman Bradley going absolutely berserk, averaging 12.9 yards per carry with a long of 58 and those two rushing touchdowns. Asher Weiner here has been fantastic at quarterback great switch by McGatlin and Valor here to trust their three-star guy to get it done 18 carries 123 yards and a touchdown Greg McDonald the senior here also getting in on the scoring action and as I said Gabe Sawchuk scoring that touchdown near the end of regulation here not the flashiest stat line of 11 carries and 43 yards but that touchdown does save Valor Christian season and advances them to well gives them a chance to fight and stay where they take care of the rest here this rushing attack and this offensive line kudos to the offensive line because this McGatlin system is a tough one to run there's a lot of misdirection for you know the skill position guys there's a lot of pulling and you know more complicated offensive line movement here and a lot more movement but the line has really started clicking here. The rushing attack has been absolutely lethal. This is, I said it before the, you know, Regis game. This is a way different Valor squad than the one that we saw at the beginning of the season or even midway through the season. They are so well coached. They are so bought in. And I think that they really trust each other more than they maybe ever have here. I mean, 350 rushing yards on 51 attempts, averaging nearly 7 yards per carry. Asher Weiner, you know, completing a few passes here and there against a stout Ralston Valley secondary. And then obviously the defense. I mean, this defense is always, you know, such a force. 61 tackles and five of those being for loss great performance by roman bradley on this side of the football here too seven total tackles three of those going for loss this is a playmaker of the week candidacy performance from roman bradley here not to mention he threw in a sack also throw in you know ethan carlson's interception obviously was nice and then trey stott giving that you know making up for that Valor Christian uh, three and out basically to allow Valor Christian a second chance to get that lead here early in the game. 
What an absurd performance by everyone in Valor. And shout out to Jeremy Claycamp. You know, I don't give enough love to punters and kickers. I acknowledge that. But going 6 of 6 for PATs and, you know, securing this W for Valor Christian. I mean, look, Valor Christian and uh, Rouston Valley. Uh, Valor Christian obviously disrupting the point after touchdown attempt for Rouston Valley is the one point difference in this game and also not providing a third overtime what an absurd contest. One of the more exhilarating 5A semifinal matchups that we've had in years, in years, in the 5A semifinals. And the one that sends Valor Christian to the state championship at mile high. Is well for the other 5A matchup here. This one, maybe not as close, but, you know, still interesting in the first quarter, I would say here. This is Cherry Creek and Pine Creek. Let's go ahead and get started. So Pine Creek, they will start um, with the ball here. And it looks like they... Okay, the beginning of this is annoying. It sounds like Pine Creek recovered an onside kick to start this football. Just kind of blown away here. But that would not... Uh, be something that would be enjoyed for very long as Cherry Creek would force a fumble here and switch possession to return uh, the, the ball back to Creek as it was originally planned here. Creek, they get a rushing touchdown here within the first couple of minutes, but the PAT is no good. So Cherry Creek only up six to nothing over Pine Creek here. Pine Creek with the ball on their own 20 yard line. They get a massive play here as Cameron Cooper, the sophomore, connects with Jake Graver for a touchdown. And Pine Creek has a lead over Creek. I actually think that this is the only time that Pine Creek has not been leading in the entire postseason here. So, Jonathan Core is good on the PAT as he has been all year. He's been automatic. But Cherry Creek would respond promptly here after a Brady Vodka 19-yard touchdown pass would give Creek the lead once again here. And I think that would be the last time that Pine Creek would lead this game. Pine Creek, they end up throwing an interception here to start the second quarter. And Creek would have the ball on their own 15-yard line. So this is a tough, you know red zone interception and cherry creek would complete an 85 yard touchdown pass for a touchdown to go up 20 to 7 here but you know a couple of punts are exchanged here you know pine creek does force a cherry creek punt but uh pine creek then basically goes three and out and punts here and cherry creek would get another passing touchdown to go up 27 to 7 here and you know at the end of the half, it the the half would end with a Jaden and Anatone and a Tony sack here. So that would give Cherry Creek a 27-7 lead. Creek would score another 14 points in this fourth quarter here. Before in the fourth quarter, Pine Creek would string together a Cameron Cooper 14-yard touchdown pass to Kai Getz here. And another Cameron Cooper. 12-yard uh, touchdown pass to Drake Jake Graver, but that is too little too late as Cherry Creek advances, beating Pine Creek 41-21. to Talking about some great performances here. Brady Vodka, 7 of 764 yards, 3 passing touchdowns here. 
And they were able to put in their senior, Brian Rudden, give him some opportunities here, um, going two of three for eight yards. Nothing super crazy. On the ground game here, this Cherry Creek ground game kept this offense very well balanced here. Brady Vodica actually picking up 42 yards, including a 47-yard run, which was the second longest of the day, outside of Carlson Babatan here, who had seven carries for 103 yards and a score. Jordan Heron would also find the end zone, and senior Arian Boyd here uh, would have 25 yards of his own. For Pine Creek, Mason Miller, the stud here, would have 13 carries for 82 yards. Jonathan Core, the other part of this backfield, would have 8 carries for 44 yards. And Luke Zimmerman would have 12 carries for 44 yards here. Cameron Cooper, an all right day. 9 of 17, 152 yards, 3 touchdowns, and 1 interception. Including that really long touchdown pass to Jake Graver here. Being the leading receiver with 93 yards on only two receptions. Both of those going into the end zone here to give Pine Creek um, that first lead. Uh, which had to be an exciting moment for Creek here. Pine that is. But uh, Cherry Creek, you know, they've been around. They've been behind before. And they obviously weren't too worried about it here. Uh, Ishmael Sisi with an incredible playmaker of the week-esque performance here. Three receiving touchdowns on only four receptions, going for 123 yards here. K.R. Johnston as well having a solid performance. Three receptions for 81 yards and a score. This Creek passing attack was clicking in every single way they possibly could be here. And uh, Brady Vodica at the head of this absurd performance here. Uh, Creek playing a very clean game here. Doesn't look like they turned the ball over once fumbling wise here no defensive stats here so don't know what to tell you there but it will be cherry creek and valor christian here playing once again at mile high and kudos to pine creek and rouse valley for making it this far for both those squads this year heading down in the classifications here we go ahead and jump to palmer ridge versus loveland for those who don't remember this was the 4A state championship just a couple of years ago here. This is the first time that they have played since. And Loveland walked away that game absolutely bludgeoning Palmer Ridge. So let's see what happens here. Palmer Ridge on this opening drive here. They come out. They get a jet sweep. Then Derek Hester keeps to move the chains here. And the Grizzlies are sticking to the ground game so far. And have rode it all the way to the other side of midfield. They run a QB sneak on fourth and short here and gain a first, but the stream gets stuck. Apparently, Loveland forces, you know, gets the ball, but they have a turnover on downs in their own territory, and Palmer Ridge capitalizes, scoring seven on a Hester touchdown just before the end of the first quarter here. Now, Loveland punts near the beginning of the second quarter, and then with the Palmer Ridge drive, they end up on third down, and Hester overthrows his receiver and is almost picked. So, with Palmer Ridge punting, Loveland again has the ball. Harstad rolls out left and takes off. They th That gains a first down. Uh, they then hand the ball off here, and you know they eat up eight minutes on this drive just to eventually turn over on downs. However, the Red Wolves defense stiffens up here. 
and Palmer Ridge tries to pass on 2nd and 10, and after an incomplete pass stops the clock with 30 seconds, and a Loveland timeout gives the offense another shot. Harstad rolls out right and hits number 81, Lane Thomas, who bobbles not once, not twice, but thrice before catching the ball and getting tackled at the five that sets up a field goal just prior to the half. And Loveland is down 7-3 to entering halftime. If he just caught it on the first time, it probably would have been six, but woulda, coulda, shoulda. Loveland enters this second half down three to seven. Now, Loveland, they'll start the second half with the ball, and on the first play from scrimmage, number 55 and six opens the hole, and number 21 hits a crucial block, leaving Harstad one-on-one with a Pomerid defender who he cuts inside of and then accelerates past the entire defense for the score and the lead that Loveland would not relinquish. But we head into the fourth quarter here a little bit later. Fast forward. No scores so far. Loveland, they're going to turn over on downs on the nine going in. So the Palmer Ridge defense giving the offense another chance here. And on the next drive, Hester runs into a wall of defenders before, you know, on the next play hitting number 13, who gets out of bounds to the 32-yard line. That number 13 player not listed. Maybe it was 23 then, or maybe it was Casey Fackerell. Honestly, it was kind of hard to see the numbers on the stream, but I digress. They advance to the 32-yard line with 47 seconds left. Then he has a tough throw to the right to number five who just couldn't quite bring it in here. 42.4 seconds left, and with no receivers open downfield, Hester has to spin around and throw it away, setting up third and 10 on the 32 with 36 seconds left. Here, can Loveland finish the job? Can they force him to a bad spot? But Hester finds number six just shy of midfield for a solid gain here. That looks like it is a junior receiver here in Jimmer Ware, I suppose. Sorry if I'm saying that wrong. But, you know, number six, he's going to be reliable on this drive here because after the next play is incomplete and they have second and 10 with 27 and a half seconds left, Hester rifles in a flood left to number six once again, who's inside the 35-yard line of Loveland with 22.9 seconds left. And then number six, ugh, he makes an incredible grab on the sideline with almost his entire body out of bounds to the 20-yard line with 17.7 seconds left in this game. Palmer Ridge, they wind up with the ball with 11.2 seconds left, and they're lining up for a field goal on the 20, and Loveland calls a timeout. So with that timeout, Palmer Ridge, they're going to line up in shotgun. They're going to take another chance here, but unfortunately, the snap is too high, and Hester has to go chase it down, and number 21 comes off the edge for Loveland, completely unblocked. That is number 21. That is senior defender Jude Moo here, who had a hurry prior to this. But he gets the game-sealing sack here that would send Loveland to state and send Palmer Ridge home. Palmer Ridge was probably just going to try one more shot towards the end zone here and then potentially line up for that field goal. I don't hate it, 
I don't mind being aggressive here instead of playing for the tie. Uh, overtime is stressful, and who knew that your center was going to have a tough time snapping the ball here. So Palmer Ridge, the number one seed, gets upset by Loveland here. Loveland continuing their little win streak in big-time games over Palmer Ridge here. Palmer Ridge still going to have a lot of guys coming back next year, but Loveland uh, definitely showing that they're worth something here as they advance to state. And on the other side of the bracket would also be a thrilling game, but not in the defensive slugfest kind of way, more in the explosive offensive fireworks kind of way. Broomfield versus Erie, a rematch of a regular season game that was not as crazy as this one. So Erie, they're going to get the ball to start here, and they get things moving with a Barnett run to the other side of midfield. Following a first down run and then a Gavin Lust carry to get into the red zone, the Broomfield defense steps up with a Garrett Keeler sack, and eventually the Tigers are staring at a fourth and three. Erie calls a timeout, not liking what they see from the Broomfield defense. Barnett then powers left and picks up the first down to Broomfield's four-yard line. The first carry inside of the five is stuffed, but then a zone left to Gavin Lusk. He finds Pater, and Erie actually has a 7-0 lead out the gate here over the number two-seeded Eagles. But down but not out, the Eagles here, they have the ball with 6 minutes and 16 seconds in the first. They get a nice return and a penalty that puts them on Erie's 45-yard line. They are pounding the ball here over and over before ending up inside the 5 where a Luke Francis run would tie this game up at 7. Continuing on, Erie's next drive would be brutal since their returner slips twice and knees it at the four-yard line, and that's where they would eventually have to punt from. They're just in a really tough spot inside of their own five-yard line, and Broomfield, with the punt and with field positioning, finds themselves inside the 20 very quickly to end the first quarter. The momentum would be short-lived as the Eagles couldn't convert a field goal attempt with what appeared to be a Caden Lettuce block. If that wasn't Caden, my bad. But like I said, the glare on NFHS camera is bad. Um, but Erie here, they saved three points and they would string together some fine runs on their drive that started on the 23-yard line before Caleb Meehan of Broomfield would register a sack, forcing an Erie timeout. However, despite the sack and an offensive penalty, Barnett would rip off a run inside of Broomfield's 40-yard line. This drive would ultimately end in a 20-yard field goal to give Erie a 10-7 lead. Now, Broomfield with the ball inside of their own 20 benefit from a LaCrue run into Erie territory. This is potentially looking to be another solid Erie drive with a long run getting all the way into the red zone, but the ball carrier would cough it up on a chase down tackle and Blake Barnett would recover it. Now Erie has the ball deep in their own territory here, but you know, they get a couple of Blake Barnett runs to get to midfield and then they give Barnett a very clean pocket to throw in where he finds number 17 of this Erie squad, Alex Sweeney who makes an incredible grab and gets upfield all the way to the two-yard line here inside of that two-minute warning here. And following that, there's another fantastic catch by Gavin Lusk 
fully extending and giving Erie a 17-7 lead heading into halftime. Broomfield, out of the half, comes out with a five-minute drive that ends in a 15-yard rushing score by Cola Crew just before an Erie punt on the next drive where they gash Erie again and again down the field and recapture the lead 21-17 here. By recapture, I mean for the first time since their first matchup here. Erie, in this second half, continues to struggle here to string together a drive, having to punt to the Eagles, who would start on their own 35-yard line and would advance quickly 4-5 before LaCruz throws an absolute dime to Cannon Juarez just outside of the safety and past the corner to get inside of Erie's 30-yard line. The Eagles would feast off of Erie's back heels here, eventually punching it in for a two-score lead just before the end of the third quarter here, 28-17. However, Erie would spring back to life with a completion to Sweeney just shy of the 40 and then capitalizing off an agile Lusk run that gets inside of Broomfield territory just about to the 20-yard line. A Barnett rush off the right tackle would get inside the 10-yard line, and after a couple of stuffed runs, we head into the fourth quarter where Erie collects a first down nonetheless, and then a penalty would push the Tigers back but wouldn't hold them back as Blake Barnett rolls out right and he shows some velocity zipping one in to number 88 for the Tigers here. I believe that's Cowgill, uh, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. If I am mistaken, it's number 88 regardless for the touchdown. Erie would complete another pass to Kava Meredith for the two-point conversion and make this a three-point game, making it 25-28. Now, arguably, this is where Broomfield wants you since they proceed to eat around four minutes off this clock and this drive ends in a LaCrue rushing touchdown and a Juarez two-point conversion here. This puts them up 36-25. to 25. But when Erie is hot, they're on fire. They get a great return almost to midfield, followed by a quick zip to Meredith again to the 23-yard line going in on a great seam throw by Barnett. And on the very next play, Barnett looks Lettuce's way, who makes a splendid over-the-shoulder grab in the middle of the end zone. And after the PAT, it is 32-36, with Erie having one of the fastest drives in the playoffs against a strong Broomfield defense. Nonetheless here, Barnett actually throwing the Tigers back into this game here. Now, Broomfield would feast with around five minutes off the clock here, but their drive does die in part to a penalty, and it gives Erie one last chance following a partially blocked punt that gives Erie the ball with only 45 yards to go and a minute and a half to do it, which is plenty of time if you remember how the previous Erie drive went. So Erie on the 45 going in, Barnett's keeper is snuffed out entirely, and they get to him to the 49-yard line, and the clock is ticking. Barnett drops back. He steps up and somehow finds Caden Lettuce in the middle of the field to the 10-yard line. And Erie lines up quickly and zips it to the slot receiver who gets the Tigers all the way to the 1-yard line. Broomfield, they take a timeout here with 18 seconds left to settle down. It is do or die. This is right where Erie wants you with only one yard to go. And their three-star quarterback having the strength, power, and finesse to get into the end zone here. So... Erie, they line up. Blake Barnett is under center. They run a QB sneak left. But 
Two Broomfield defenders are there to meet him at the goal line and force a fumble on the one-yard line that Broomfield recovers, which would result in Broomfield winning this football game here. Now, lots of notable performance here. Obviously, Caden Lettuce had one of his best games of the season. You have that blocked field goal, you have that touchdown catch, and you have just a constant threat over the middle here. And, you know, Erie, they compete to to the buzzer here and almost upset another one to return to state for the second time here. However, they would run just, just shy to this Broomfield defense that's just been so clutch all season long. And Broomfield will punch their ticket to state, like I said, thanks to a great defense here and thanks to, you know, a great rushing attack that included four Cola Crew rushing touchdowns on 145 yards and 25 carries. Luke Francis, 20 or 16 carries for 129 yards and one score as well. Cannon Juarez with that two-point conversion run that also helps out here because Erie, I mean, who knows? Maybe they could have kicked a field goal that would have impacted their play calling here, but uh, they go for the win. And this is, you know, a game that Erie would usually win here um, with with that setup, but Broomfield comes up clutch. Cola Crew, definitely a playmaker of the week candidate here. 47 or 25 carries, 145 yards, four touchdowns, nine of 16 passing for 103 yards. And then obviously from the Loveland game, there were a couple of playmaker of the week candidates. We will dive into that later when we talk about our playmakers of the week brought to you by Code Red Coaching that is also going to bring us some guys from championship games here. But before we do that, we're going to talk about the 3A semifinals that honestly kind of underwhelmed in the competitiveness that maybe we were expecting here in this Lutheran versus Durango game. It was close to end the first quarter here, 14 to 7, and that's kind of the last time that it would be super close here as Lutheran scores another 24 unanswered points through the next two quarters here to go up 35 to 7 here. And by the time Durango starts scoring touchdowns, it's too little too late here. And Lutheran would beat slash upset Durango in Durango 45 to 28 here. Durango here struggling on the offensive side of the ball here, throwing four interceptions and also losing a fumble here. I'm not sure who recorded those since Lutheran has not recorded their defensive stats yet. But, you know, for to Durango's credit, they do score 21 points here near the end of the game. And, you know, Harms ends up in the end zone for a rushing touchdown. Uh, Jarek Baruch ends up in the end zone. He had the most solid rushing performance here. 14 carries, 153 yards, and a touchdown. Zachary Haber, 12 carries, 48 yards, and a touchdown. But you could tell that Durango could not keep pace here. Zachary Haber also with a receiving touchdown. If, you know, this game went a little bit different, maybe Durango here is in state. But they just could not control the pace here. Lutheran controls the pace here with great performances from all of their star players here. Ryan Kenny, 2A MVP candidate, 23 carries, 133 yards, and two touchdowns, averaging a nice six yards per carry. And Riken Doggard was 
an absolute dog in this game here. 17 of 27 for 207 yards and four passing touchdowns here. Joe Cicio receiving one of those touchdowns on one of his four receptions for 54 yards. Another guy, Sam Weisler here, out of his three receptions, two of those end up finding pay dirt as he collects 57 total yards on the day. And Chase Sorensen was actually number one here with 79 receiving yards and a touchdown on his four receptions here. This Lutheran squad altogether having 428 scrimmage yards um, between punt, kick, receiving, and rushing here. Just a great performance. Ryan Kenny here with 138 total yards. Riken Doggard with 214 total yards, including the ground game. And Chase Sorensen with four passing yards, 23 rush yards, and 79 receiving yards. Also eclipses the century mark here. As for Durango, like I said, Zachary Haber had a very solid game. But AJ Folk, you know, two sacks. He also had two receptions for 54 yards. But... Yeah, they just, you could tell that this game was in Lutheran's hands. Some of the passes that Riken were completing were pretty dang good. And he's shown a lot of progress and he's shown that he's healthy as well heading into this championship matchup. Both Kenny and Doggard being playmaker of the week caliber performers. Now, speaking of controlling the clock and the game here, the number one seeded Roosevelt Rough Riders would host the number three seed Green Mountain Rams and would do exactly that here. As all in all, Roosevelt runs the ball 49 times for 217 yards, averaging 4.4 per carry and getting three scores on the ground. The distribution of this goes Doucette, 13 carries for 49 yards. Bronco Hartson, 10 carries for 33 yards and a touchdown. And Xavier Ramirez, the dynamic junior here, 25 carries for 127 yards and two scores. Kind of a, uh, you know, a couple playmaker of the week-esque performances here. Bronco Hartson going 5 of 8 for 56 yards and a touchdown as well. Roosevelt here. Absolutely taking care of business, holding the three-seeded Green Mountain Rams to exactly that many points as well, en route to a 30-3 win here over Green Mountain. Green Mountain just not able to get anything going on the ground, averaging less than four yards per carry here and being forced to pass to try and catch up, which is just not how they are built here. Zach Wallace being evidence of that, uh, struggling to complete passes when they need it to happen here. Whereas, you know, Roosevelt, while they're able to run the ball very effectively, their defense is really the story here. You know, you have guys like Hernandez, who had two sacks, two tackles for loss. You have Evan Klein, Ryan Nutson, Anthony Munoz, and Dylan Doyon all getting in the backfield. But Elazar Valencia impressed me the most from this game here. He's the big playmaker of the week candidate in my eyes from this game here. Nine total tackles, three of those for loss. Also registering a sack that was a 14-yard loss here. In other defensive news, Tucker Peterson did notch an interception here. And two forced fumbles, both from Hernandez and Valencia. And Evan Klein, the senior, recovers one of those here. Green Mountain, unfortunately, just didn't have quite the juice from this senior class to overcome the one-seeded Rough Riders here. So, that means that your state championship that Coach V will be at here 
is going to be Lutheran and Roosevelt, the one and the three seed down at CSU Pueblo this Saturday. In championship news, we're going to continue to descend here. So this is actually the second game that we watched on Saturday at CSU Pueblo between the number one seeded Delta Panthers and the number two seeded Eaton Rads here. And so to start, Eaton would begin this game on their own 20-yard line. They get a Morgan Trebet run for four before Connor Workman blows up a swing pass. And then on third and six, they hand off to Trebet for a first, but holding pushes them back to the 20-yard line where True starts looking upfield before catching it, forcing fourth and 10 and a punt here. Now Delta on their own 35-yard line with about 10 and a half minutes in this first quarter here. Workman accelerates for a first down to their own 48. Workman then cuts left and is dragged down by Trebet at the opposing 46. They hand off to Workman again, setting up third and one. And then Gunner Clary catches Ty Reed from behind just after the first down. They then hand off to Asai Carrillo here for two before Zach Grable meets Delta in the backfield and brings down the back at the 37-yard line, forcing third and seven. They take a timeout here, avoiding a delay of game, and then with just a hair under seven minutes here, under pressure, there is a pass broken up by Salberg here on fourth and seven, and the field goal from about 50 yards is no good. So, Eaton, they start with the ball here um, with about six minutes and 50 seconds left. Trebet runs for 10 and a first before Walker Martin dots up number 10, Austin Martinez, on the drag route who accelerates ahead for the first. Trebet then gets three consecutive carries, er, yeah, three consecutive carries that would barely get a first down before Walker Martin strikes deep down the right sideline to Austin Martinez for the score here. Now, this play had a lot of controversy here because a Delta defender did pop up with the football However, after watching the play again and again and again in slow motion, a lot of people will say, oh, that was very obviously a Delta interception. And I really don't think so. I think that it was in Austin Martinez's hands with him having possession of it as he crosses the goal line here. And then as they roll over, that's when the Delta defender gets the football. But... If Austin has the ball and possession of it passing the goal line, anything that happens after that doesn't matter. Um, and he would have been down anyway since he ended up on his knees to make this catch and the Delta defender is over him. So it's like he's being downed in the end zone with the ball in his hands. Uh, then they roll over here and a Delta defender pops up with the ball. I will say initially it did look funky and it is easy to look at that a little too quick. Uh, and you know, it was a really crazy, tough play to, to call for the referee here, but I really don't think Delta would still have opportunities in this game here, despite being down seven to nothing here with just a few minutes left in the first quarter, but Delta here, they're going to start in their own 20. They're going to run for four yards here. And then they're going to take their second time out, both used to prevent delay of games. It's little things like this, like not having play calls ready and being way too conservative that would be the bigger story for the Panthers this game. 
uh, Tyreed, he overthrows a ball way inside and is intercepted by number 10, Austin Martinez. So Eaton has the ball in their own 40 at the 37 with three and a half to go here in the first. But Delta stands stiff on first down before Trebet pounds his feet for a first on second down. There's then a run for five and an incomplete pass. It's just a little bit behind the receiver. Before third and five, they draw Delta into an encroachment here that's third and one. Trebet is met by Tucker Johnson here but falls forward for a first down to Delta's 41. Walker Martin here running the speed option keeps it himself for four and then he keeps on a read option and, you know, runs down to the 22 um, for for the end of the first here. Number 10, Clay Sandbridge would fill a lane on the next play to start the second quarter here, forcing third and seven. And then on third and seven, Walker Martin keeps and dodges diving defeld Delta defenders for six here. And this 18-yard score would put Eaton up 14-0 early in the second. With 11-15 in the first half here, Delta has looked scattered and shook and needs to stabilize on this drive. So they're starting on the 20. They have a few runs that make it third and six before Gallegos gets a jet sweep and cuts deep inside and lunges for a first down. Carrillo would then run for a first down and the Panthers would pound for six for second and four at midfield. They get another first on a battered Connor run. And then on the next play, number 64, Eaton pops Workman back. Carrillo then runs, and Delta gets a first down. Timeout Eaton here with 626 in the half. And the Panthers got 35 yards to go. There's a good block by number two, Delta, on a speed option for a first by Carrillo. And then they throw a screen to Workman, who rolls off of like three tackles and spins ahead to the four-yard line. Trebet wins on his guy and finds Delta in the backfield for a loss of two before you know the Eaton defense buckles down and forces third and goal from the four. They have a run to the inch line, but on fourth and goal, Asai Carrillo dives in for the end zone, and he gets it 7-7 seven to seven with 2.41 here in the half. Taylor Hewlett rocks the returner, and Eaton starts at the 18-yard line. Martin finds number 88 Tate Smith for five before Trebet gets a run to the 33-yard line and then picks up another three yards. On an in route here, the Delta safety ward lights up the receiver on the in route to force a drop and third and eight. On third and eight, they run for four. And on fourth and four, Zach Grable has a perfect, and I mean perfect punt with the backspin that is downed by an Eaton special teamer on the two-yard line here. Now, Delta, they have one minute at their own two. They're, they don't get anything going. And in heading into halftime, Eaton is up 14-7 to here. This is still a very close game. This is still a very winnable game for either squad here. Walker Martin throwing for a touchdown and running for a touchdown in that first half here. And Morgan Trebet getting a dozen carries for a ton of yards. Now Delta, they start with the ball in their 35. They have a run for eight before a false start sets up second and seven Creo keeps for four and on third and three Gunnar Clary is in the backfield and it sets up fourth and three where Eaton or where Delta punts now Eaton with the ball with under 10 minutes in the third on their own 15 they have a great Walker Martin fake here and he collects a face mask that moves Eaton all the way to the 38 yard line before the next play Delta forces a Morgan Trebet fumble and recovers on their 46-yard line. 
Now, with some momentum here, Delta trying to put something together here, close this gap. They get a couple of runs here um, before on third and eight. He throws, Tyree throws a slant to number 17, who picks up a first down. Carrillo kind of jitters left and right for a gain of eight, and then on the next play, drives his legs like pistons and ends up at the 21-yard line. On first and 10, Asai follows Connor's lead block for four yards, before Workman on the next play cuts away from the hole and narrowly gains one yard. On third and five, Delta attempts a fake run slant that Eaton has doubled and is sitting on. And on fourth and five, they kick a field goal here to bring it within 10 to 14 with 544 in the third. Now, Eaton from their own 20, Trebet moves the chains. And then the next run isn't as successful, but is still good for five yards. Then they get D'Angelo Rosas involved here. He speeds ahead to Delta's 38-yard line for the Panthers swallow up the next run. And then D'Angelo sets up a third and three here. There's a short run here for Eaton. They have fourth and one. And Delta takes a timeout with two minutes and two seconds here still in the third. Ryder True leads the way for Trebet, who easily slips for the first. On the next play, Trebet spins inside on first and has Eaton in second and six on the 22 when Walker Martin connects to Ryder True who trucks a Delta defender for the first, but this is called back for holding, making it second and 19. Martin keeps 4-8, setting up third and 11, and in the fourth quarter here, there's great coverage forcing Walker Martin to scramble as he picks up fourth and five. Now, Eaton, they take a timeout here, and they're attempting a field goal at the beginning of the fourth, but it's blocked by Delta and scooped up by Landon Clay and taken all the way to the Eaton 31-yard line. Delta, with a ton of momentum here, has a chance to take the lead off of a few Eaton mistakes here. And so the Panthers, with the ball at the 31 going in and 11.45 left, they have a couple of runs that set up third and one before they have to take their second time out. And this run is stuffed. So Delta, you you heard it correctly. With all the momentum in the world, a blocked field goal, and a chance to take the lead in this game, they call three consecutive run plays to set up fourth and one. And then on fourth and one, they run right at Gunner Cleary, who stuffs the run and forces a turnover on downs. I put, if Delta loses... I'm looking at the play calling on this drive and calling it a pitiful missed opportunity. You have all the momentum and you call four run plays, the third and fourth down ones looking very similar, at least going to a similar gap. Are you out of your mind? I don't know. This Delta offense has been so exciting all season and boy, when the lights shined brightest, the play calling shriveled, absolutely shriveled. And on top of that, Eaton just played really tough in that front seven. So Eaton, they're in their own territory here with, like I said, like 10 minutes or nine minutes in this third quarter. And boy, this is right what they want to do here. They get a couple of runs that move the chains. Trebet then runs um, for about four. And then a botched snap is recovered uh, by Ryder True here. That at about the line of scrimmage, forcing third and six. Workman bites way too hard on the read option, and Walker Martin keeps all the way to the 47-yard line, picking up the first. Trebet is ahead to cross midfield here, and on second and three, Delta 
is just tackling high, they're diving, and Eaton gets a first down. Trebet gets a first down here on the 29-yard line, and the Panthers' arm tackles aren't working here. As Morgan Trebet picks up another seven here, and on third and one, Trebet keeps of the first. And if you're tired of hearing of, you know, Trebet runs for first down, it's not over because, you know, an inside zone goes for nine here, and with the ball on the nine, Trebet runs for a first. The ball on the five with two minutes left. Eaton takes a kneel and forces a Delta timeout. And on the very next play, Trebet punches a hole through the Delta defense, going right with a great cut and a soul puncher here with Eaton going up 21 to 10 with one and a half minutes left in this ball game. Delta, they're playing for pride at this point. They start on their own 20. They run a screen for three before Trebet spins Tyreed around and sacks him. And on third and 11 is sacked by Austin Martinez, securing Eaton's third state championship in a row. They are your 3 P champions. Now, some notable performances this game. Obviously, Connor Workman was playing very hard on both sides of the ball. Taylor Hewlett collecting a handful of tackles as well for that Delta defense that gave this Delta offense multiple opportunities here. Delta will be back. They still have youth at very important positions, but I'm just curious. You know, Delta here, they play a lot of this year without Ty Reed, but he comes back, right? Ty Reed returns to the fold here they don't get Landon Clay like any looks here really like they just they don't pass the ball like at all this game Ty he throws that early interception but you got to build his confidence here I mean on the day he had like five whole pass attempts and this is the same Ty Reed who is a huge reason why you made it to state in the first place here I understand wanting to preserve your quarterback because of, you know, he did sustain an injury earlier this year, but I mean, against university, he had a 16 carry 130 yard performance all the way back in August for three touchdowns. You look at what he was able to do in the playoffs here, you know, against birth at seven of 13, three touchdowns, one interception. TCA nine of 16, 158 yards, three touchdowns, one interception, but he's attempting double digit passes. He's not going to get into rhythm attempting less than 10 passes. And I think that he was really cheated out of an opportunity to do more for Delta in this game here, uh, which is just a shame. Honestly, I was, I'm not even going to lie. It was a good game, but I was a little underwhelmed here um, outside of the Delta defense, just playing out of their rocker here. Um, but Eaton here. They've, they've been here, they're experienced, and, uh, you know, they're closers, and that's exactly what they did. They closed this. Morgan Trebet here is going to be our playmaker of the game here on the 2A level. If you counted first downs, he probably had like 10 to 13 first downs on his own. Definitely over 100 rushing yards and that rushing touchdown here. Walker Martin being a close second, though, with passes at the right time. He probably ran for another 60 to 70 yards, if not more, and a rushing touchdown, throwing that passing touchdown. Maybe even 100 and 100 stat line. Not entirely sure because there are no stats yet from this game. But, you know, all of those performances, very, very solid. This Eaton line playing pretty good down the stretch. And, um, you know, Gunnar Clary also making some plays as well for this Eaton squad. Awesome Martinez receiving touchdown, two interceptions, and I want to say like three total receptions maybe. 
Um, so a pretty solid game from a handful of Eaton players who are your three-peat 2A state champions. Huge congrats to both teams for making it this far. It was great to, you know, kind of get to see some of the same guys as uh, last year on the field and talk to them and see what their thoughts were on the game. Morgan Trebet, his next step is going to be CSU for football. And then you have Walker Martin, who won the Chassa player of the game in this game. Deservingly so. Uh, lots of good candidates, obviously. And, you know, his next step is going to be, well, baseball season for Eaton. And then he is off to Arkansas for baseball. So, Lots of solid, you know, movement on the next level. Ryder True, I think, is a Chadron State guy. So lots of next level, you know, kind of opportunities for Eaton here. And Delta, you know, they do graduate a handful of players on their defense. But I do think that this is a team that could definitely be back in the next year or two under Ty Reed. Speaking of being back, Lyman would be in their fifth consecutive state title appearance versus the Ray Eagles here. These two teams, I think, were destined for a crash course based off of their regular season game and just the squads on both sides here. Now, Lyman, they will start this game with the ball on their own 21. And Brady Collins, he will start this game off with a tackle at the line of scrimmage. There's then a pitch right that's tackled after a four-yard gain. And on third and six, Logan Botyer is swallowed up here, and Ray will start at the 40-yard line following a tough Lyman punt here. Now, number five for Lyman gets hands on number two for a short gain before Brady Collins keeps on the next play for a first down. Then Samuel Meisner will plow ahead for nine. Sam Meisner, extending the play right, narrowly gains a first all the way to the 36-yard line here. But the next play is stuffed by the defense before Collins rumbles forward with multiple defenders on his back for a first down. There's a few runs that set up third and two thanks to a nice edge set by Lance Beatty of Lyman. But Meisner fights for the first on third and two. And on the 15 going in, the Eagles get swallowed up by Badgers with Bandy being the first one there. And then on the next play, number 25, Gabe Shubarth and Lance Beatty swallow up the rollout right. On third and six, however, Samuel Meisner scores the first touchdown of the game and puts Ray up seven to nothing with 4.49 in the first quarter. Now, Lyman to start with a play action where Bennett is found for the first down. They're on their own 42 yard line before Wade makes a touchdown saving tackle and keeps the gain to only two yards. Trust me, if he didn't make this tackle, it would have been a huge run that was ripped off. Now, the Eagles make a great tackle here, and on third and four, there's a handoff that is stopped short due to Ray's interior dominance. On fourth and three, they try and pass the ball, but Jordan Rockwell is forced to throw off balance, and it just escapes the outstretched fingers of Michael Hoffman, and it is a turnover on downs. Now, with Ray on the 49 going in, they would like to make this a two-score game, and Collins keeps for some and then some more. Before on third and three, Gabe Schubarth makes a great tackle forcing fourth and one, and there's a terrible snap that rolls to the punter, but the punt is somehow even worse, and Lyman is going to start on the 42-yard line. It's like the punt somehow goes up and goes out of bounds at the line of scrimmage. It's nuts. So Lyman on the 42-yard line, they have a run for no gain, and then to start the second quarter here, Jordan Rockwell trips on his backpedal here, and on third and 15, they have a keeper for 11 here, 
but when they line up for fourth and four, there's a false start, and on fourth and nine, they are forced to punt. Now, Ray here with 10 minutes and 16 seconds left in the half, they start at the 20, and Bandy drags down the ball carrier at the line of scrimmage. Meisner keeps for another two before mid-cap finds Chris Aramula at the 30-yard line for a first down. Collins then pounds ahead to the 37-yard line before on the next plays, Marks has a couple of tackles here, setting up third and two. Uh, on the next play, Marks, Shubarth, and Botyer all meet the ball carrier in the backfield, setting up fourth and one, and Ray is forced to punt here. Now, Lyman on the 25 here, their first run goes nowhere before Rockwell connects with Dontarius Arnold for a first down. They then attempt a deep pass right that is brought back by a penalty, setting up first and 15. Tell Wade at the line of scrimmage meets this next play, and then rolling out right with Wade in his face. Rockwell finds Botyer, who sneaks up the right sideline for a first and some. Rockwell then to the other side of midfield, gets to the 45-yard line, and after that, Shubarth gets dragged down on the next play. Brady Collins then dives for Rockwell's feet, and he's stopped short of the first, but a penalty on the raid defense is a huge shot in the arm for Lyman, who's now at the 27-yard line in with three minutes in the half. Rockwell then lobs one down the right sideline in double coverage and connects with Dontarius Arnold, who makes a tough Moss-esque grab to tie this game up at seven. Now, Ray, they have the ball with under three minutes to go, starting at the 36, where they have a run for three before Trayton Marks' vice grip brings down Brady Collins for only a gain of one. Midcap then doesn't like anything he sees, and he wins the foot race to the first down marker out of bounds. There's then an incomplete pass with pressure on first down. Then Brady Collins follows his blockers for eight, and Ray takes a timeout here with a minute 25 on the 43-yard line. Then they get a short run here, um, setting up fourth and two, and Collins pushes ahead for the first down here on the second wind. Then on the 37-yard line, Casey Midcap finds Peyton Wade for a gain of five. They are running hurry up, and Midcap on this snap kind of slides left, sets his feet, loads up, and throws a beautiful dot to Chris Aramula for the score. There's like, it's just past the safeties and the corners here. It's kind of a mess, but Casey knows his guy Arambula who makes a nice catch here to regain the lead for Ray going up 14 to seven. Now the Badgers will have around 40 seconds in the half and two timeouts starting at the 30 and uh, Botyer, he gets you know, a run here and Lyman takes a timeout with 27 seconds on the 35. Rockwell doesn't really receive the low snap and he throws it away and now there's only 21 seconds. They pitch to Shubarth for a first down and with five seconds left on the last play, Rockwell drops back, but Tell Wade beats the tailback thrown at him, the fullback thrown at him, and he rocks Rockwell for a sack to end the half. Ray leads this one 14-7, and they will start with the ball, or so I thought here, on the kickoff. One of the toughest mental mistakes I've probably seen this season here. No one on Ray fields the kickoff in the middle of the field, and Lyman grabs it at the 24 going in. Kickoffs, unless they reach a touchback or out of bounds, are a live ball, football players. 
Know that, know that, know that, and don't forget it on the biggest stage here. Lyman, they recover here, and, you know, Shubarth, he shows some resolve on second down, making two defenders miss, but Tell Wade cleans it up. And on third and six, they run a triple option with a pitch to Botyer, who picks up a first down, but a holding penalty brings it back. Now, they run the same play to the other side, which gets absolutely decimated. And on 4th and 16, it's looking grim here. But they throw a screen to Gabe Shubarth, who runs all the way for a first down inside the 10-yard line. They then run a fake jet dive to Bandy to get to the 2-yard line before hanging it off to Bandy a second time here. Up the gut for the score, tying it up 14-14 with 9 minutes and 4 seconds. Ray then starts on the 46-yard line where they get a handoff to Rambula, who lunges ahead for eight. Midcap then narrowly escapes pressure and throws it away. On third and two, Samuel Meisner would receive the snap here for the first down, and then Brady Collins would run for another eight. This Ray offense is clicking on this drive, looking like they did earlier this game. Brady Collins finds the edge for the first, and the Eagles are now on the 27 going in. Meisner continues to beast ahead for eight yards before the next play. Aaron Schubarth and Gabe Schubarth wrap up the ball carrier just past the first down. There's a handoff to Rambula, who's all by himself with a massive hole. Four, six points here. The PAT is good, and Ray is back in the driver's seat, 21-14, with 6-17 in the third here. Now, at the 30-yard line, the returner is popped by Peyton Wade and Caden Bauer here before Schubarth runs for nine yards, making three Eagles miss before Tell Wade catches up and makes the tackle. On third and one, there's a penalty for aiding the runner that sets up third and four. They do a flip to Gabe, who gets a solid gain to the opposing 44-yard line. Brady Collins then shoots the gap and tackles Rockwell before he can hand it off, and then Schubarth is swallowed by a flock of Eagles for a loss of four. On 3rd and 15, Tell Wade forces a hurry and an incomplete pass that puts it at 4th and 15, and they punt here. Ray, starting on their 29-yard line, they get stuffed initially before handing off to Arambula, who picks up 8. And on 3rd and 2, there's a big run by Arambula, but a holding penalty saves Lyman, forcing 3rd and 7, where Trayton Marks is on the hurry, and Shubarth makes a breakup in pass coverage to force a punt. Now Lyman on their own 20 with a minute and a half in the third get a big run all the way to the 48-yard line. And on first down at about midfield, Wade, Tell Wade and Brady Collins wrap up Bandy at the line of scrimmage. There's a run to the, you know, for five here that ends the third quarter. So Lyman will start with third and five on the 47 going in where Shubarth runs for a first down. The pass on first down is incomplete before they hand off to Gabe once again for a few yards. But on third and nine, Rockwell to Arnold is another connection here for a first down. Now on the 24 going in, Tell Wade meets Gabe Schubarth in the backfield and Lyman takes a timeout here with 9.48 left. Now a play action left, Rockwell would find his guy number 88, Michael Hoffman, for a pickup of 10 and then a bandy dive would pick up a first. Now in the 13 going in, Logan Bayer gets a sweep for 8 yards. And then on 2nd and 2, they get a sweep left where he reaches the edge for a first down. Schubarth then strolls into the end zone with 8-11 in the game, but the 2-point attempt is no good, and Lyman is down 20-21. Now Ray with the ball on their own 19. 
they run a play here with a Rambula, and Keon Bandy strips the ball carrier, and Lyman recovers on the 16-yard line. Logan Botyer being the one who recovers on this play, or at least I'm pretty sure. Yep, he's the recoverer. And it even looks like Aaron Shoebarth is on the forced fumble as well here. So great Badger effort here. This is what they do. They close games. And if you make mistakes against Lyman, they will make you pay here. And that's exactly what happens as, you know, they have a couple of handoffs to Shoebarth, including a sweep that narrowly makes the pylon for Lyman's first lead of the game. Their two-point attempt is no good, and they now lead 26-21 with 7.02 in the game. Now, Ray here, starting to feel a little bit of the heat in the kitchen. They are down, but are they out? We will see. Now, a Badger beatdown awaits Meisner at the line of scrimmage on this first play here. And then Dontarius Arnold saves the edge on the next play. And on third and nine, Midcap rolls out right, and he tries to throw. But Michael Hoffman... Gets incredible air on this pass. He jumps up and pops the ball up in the air where it lands in the hands of Traden Marks here who intercepts the football and gets Lyman all the way to the 19-yard line. Both these guys were chasing Casey down and were in his face. Great pressure, great heads-up jump by Michael Hoffman to bat it up and great heads up interception by Drayton Marks who continues to have a very impressive season here and so Lyman with the ball in the 19 they probably just need one more score and I think that that will put this game away more than likely here and so they're gonna just continue to get to their guy here Shoebarth who picks up three then Logan Byer gets to the line of scrimmage on third and seven now Rockwell Dots up number three in the end zone, but the ball is dropped. But pass interference with a tug on the pass gives Lyman a first down regardless. Now, first and 10 on the 13, Shubarth is up the middle to the one-yard line. Now, on the one, they get Ray to jump off sides here. They get encroachment, and then Shubarth gets the handoff left and powers in for the score. It's probably the nail in the coffin, and after the PAT, it is 33-21 with 3.36 left. Now, Ray, they have the ball on the 35-yard line. They throw a screen right to a Rambula, and Gabe blows him up. Chris has to be helped off the field. He ended up returning to the game, so nothing too crazy there. And then on second and six, Trayton Marks would register a sack, just absolutely taking over. And on third and seven, number 58, Aaron Shubarth would swallow up mid-cap, and Ray takes a timeout prior to a fourth and 16. Now with 2.42, mid-cap heaves one to a Rambula, Who's open, but, you know, maybe the ball's a little far. He doesn't uh, feel it's close enough for the dive here. And it is a turnover on downs. Now, Lyman with the ball on the 29 going in. They have two and a half minutes left until their ring. They get a tackle at the line of scrimmage. And then Brady Collins and Sam Meisner make a tackle here. And Ray takes a timeout with 150 left and third and 10 here. Now, the next play, Ray takes another timeout. They have none remaining. And on fourth and four, Lyman responds with a timeout where they throw a play action screen to Lance Beatty, who screams up the left sideline and scores. Lyman would win this game 39 to 21 and collect their 21st state championship. Yes, that is a state record and it grows each year. Now, Ray, they had some solid performances this game here. They ran for 167 yards, and I still think that there's a lot to be excited about. 
Midcap and Meisner are only sophomores here. They were both responsible for touchdowns in this game. Arambula will be graduating, and he had two touchdowns, or was on the receiving end of a touchdown and ran for a touchdown this game as well. On the defensive side of the ball, look, actually, I'm just going to say this. If Ray won this game, Tell Wade was going to be the playmaker of the game here. 11 tackles, 3 for loss, 1.5 sacks, and, you know, a big time blow up and just constantly forcing you know Lyman to have to game plan strategize and run around him really uh also on this defense you know Meisner here with the one and a half TFLs Brady Collins as well both of those registering 11 and 12 tackles respectively Ronnie Shea had 10 tackles and one for loss so you know lots of Ray Eagles stepping up here this is probably the best that they've ever played Lyman and I really think I genuinely believe that they were in a position to win this game but Lyman tightened up and Ray kind of shriveled here just a little bit um look you can't lose two fumbles uh to this to this Badger you know defense and then this interception was just an insane like sports center top 10 level play by michael hoffman and Trayton marks to allow lyman that field position and to get right back in this game but they were aided by you know quite a few solid performances here jordan rockwell in his first state championship ever 9 of 13 two touchdown passes 138 yards obviously lance Beatty and dontarius arnold on the receiving end dontarius leading the team in receptions yards and being tied for touchdowns while having one of the best highlights of this entire game here now Gabe Shubarth he did have the one screenplay that went for 24 yards but the reason that Shubarth is your playmaker of the game here 28 carries 137 yards three touchdowns they needed a closer to close this game out and that's exactly what Shubarth did he almost had 200 scrimmage yards whereas nobody else had over 50 unless you include Rockwell throwing and rushing but he still did not even have as many as Shubarth did with those you know return yards included on the defensive side of the ball Keon Bandy was an absolute beast 11 tackles Jordan Rockwell had 11 tackles but Shubarth also had 11 tackles. Trayton Marks had 11 tackles, two of those for loss, as well as the interception and the sack. He's another good candidate for playmaker of the game. You look at Gabe Shubarth, or Aaron Shubarth, I mean, who forced a fumble. Logan Bott, you're on the recovery. I know Keon Bandy was over in that area as well. But Shubarth puts the team on his back, scores the touchdowns when he needs to. I believe that he had all three of those touchdowns. Er, all three of his touchdowns came in the second half. Yes. So during their comeback and then their ascension to the lead, they scored 25 unanswered points in the fourth quarter here to beat the Ray Eagles. Would not be surprised if we see both of these teams again. But that will conclude the 1A and 2A season for Colorado High School football. Your state champions on the 1A and 2A level is the Lyman Badgers with their 21st and the Eaton Reds with their three-peat. Some takeaways from other members of the PMC crew here on the 1A game, but Ray and Lyman was a thriller. I don't really have much to say that hasn't already been said. However, I believe in my heart of hearts that Tell Wade, regardless of the loss, should have won the MVP trophy. Trayton Marks is not a small man, one of the best two-way players I've seen this year, and Tell Wade treated him like a plaything. Trayton Marks 
or, or I saw Wade destroy a guy and then get a sack less than a second later. His work on the O-line was superb as well, and it is not his fault that the offense failed to capitalize on the chances he helped give them. He was consistent for the full game as the best player on the field, and I know that as a rule you're supposed to give it to a player on the winning team, but I think the Jerry West exception applies. End quote. And I believe this is Gideon here. And then on the 2A state championship, Gideon said, quote, The 2A championship was insane. Eaton had the opportunity to pull away multiple times before the fourth quarter. Delta just felt off. They played completely different from how they did when I watched them face the academy. They needed to give the ball to Tyreed more often. And if I remember correctly, he only got one touch in the first half. And it was obviously a no matter what you no matter what you throw to this guy kind of play. That isn't letting your QB cook. Connor Workman did well, and if Delta has had one, Asai Carrillo should have won MVP for that game. Eaton just outplayed and, to be frank, outcoached them. I know that Reed is coming back from injury, but you don't know if you'll ever reach the championship again. If I had that opportunity, I would take every step that I could. That's just me, though. Also, Austin Martinez is a next-level guy. Anybody listening should take a look, end quote. I gotta agree with everything Gideon said here, and, you know, co uh, Coach V... And I had a lot of the same sentiment with these games. You heard how frustrated I was getting just talking about, you know, some of the play calling in this game from the Delta side here. Hopefully they learn their lesson and they'll be back in state and try and give that another go here. But those are the conclusions to the 1A and 2A seasons. However, there's still more football to be played 3A through 5A. And we're going to talk about that. We'll go ahead and bounce back to the 3A level here and talk about some of these picks. And by picks, I mean the previous round to see how we did here. Look, let's go ahead and catch up here in round four. So the playoff games are worth more and more points every week here. And so let's go ahead and talk about how Coach V did here first. So Coach V accurately predicted Lyman to win the state championship and Eaton to win the state championship going two of two there and a hundred percent. Now in three, a coach V took Roosevelt and Durango here. So he was only one of two for this eight point round here on the four, a level here. You know, he also went one of two. He picked Palmer Ridge who lost to Loveland, but he picked Broomfield who won. So he got eight points there as well. And then in 5A, he took Ralston Valley who would lose to Valor and Cherry Creek being one of two and getting a whopping 40 points, 62.5% this round and getting up to 170 total points. Now, in my part of the predictions, I did choose Lyman to beat Ray, so I was one of one there. However, I took Delta in the 2A state championship, which would get me zero out of one uh, on that 2A level. No points to show for there. Now, in 3A, I also took Roosevelt and Durango, so I was half correct there. Now, in 4A, I was actually 100% on the 4A level, taking Loveland in the upset and Broomfield to make the chip here, going 2 of 2 and getting 100% and 16 points in 4A. Now in 5A, I took Ralston Valley, who lost to Valor Christian. Once again, kudos to Valor Christian for continuing to prove us wrong this year. Great job and loving the culture a lot more this year than in years past under whoever the heck that last coach was. But 
you know, I got that one wrong, but I got Creek right. So I got eight points, making my total for this round 40 points and a 62.5% correct, which is the exact same as Coach V, and 178 points total. Now, Gideon here in the fourth round, he predicted Lyman correctly here, and he also took Eaton in two-way here. So he was two of two in championship games this weekend before getting 50% right in 3A, 4A, and 5A, having the same picks as Coach V here and collecting, you know, between those three games, 24 points, 40 total points, 62.5% correct, and 169 total points here, making the standings me one at 178 points total, Coach V 170 total points total, and Gideon with 169 total points. But how will that play out for our picks here? Well, let's go ahead and take a look at Gideon, who has the most ground to make up here heading into the championship week here. So I'm going to talk about his prediction and then talk about his reasoning. So with Gideon here in 3A, he says, Riken Doggard is back. I honestly have no clue what to think here. A healthy Lutheran team can beat a lot of 5A teams, but so can a fully optimized Roosevelt squad. Against everyone, for except for Discovery Canyon, Roosevelt performed better. This is tough because Riken Doggard is averaging 240 yards per game, but Bronco Hartson is also a good QB. Roosevelt has a lot of good options on every side of the ball. Once again, I look at special teams. Samuel Smolin was an all-playmaking kicker. Jacob Wehaj is good too, but has missed his fair share of PATs. My gut is telling me Roosevelt, but if Lutheran wins, I would not be surprised. Rough Riders 35, Lutheran 31. And I'm just going to keep rolling actually with his predictions here and go into the 4A state prediction for Gideon here. He said, quote, both teams are glad to be here with wins of at most five points. Loveland's only loss was against 5A's 10th ranked Fossil Ridge, while Broomfield's closest game was this past game against Erie. I like Broomfield a lot. Garrett Harstad is Loveland. Offensively, he's unstoppable with over 185 yards a game. But if I'm being honest, Broomfield isn't going to have to deal with too much opposition on the defensive end. Lane Thomas's 23 pass deflections is insane, and Trey Olson and Cody Lease have three interceptions apiece. But Kohler Crew is going to have to keep an eye out, but he's committed to a Power 5 school for a reason. Harstad will have to look out for Garrett Keeler, and this matchup is pretty even. While Loveland has a good air defense, I think Broomfield's variety will push them past. Broomfield 42, Loveland 28. Also, Loveland Barstool, change your profile pick. You're the Red Wolves. You've had a year which he's spitting here, end quote. Uh, he's spitting here, Gideon is. So yes, please do address that Loveland Barstool. You are the Red Wolves. Quit being cringe. But let's go ahead and advance to Gideon here in 5A, where he says, quote, for my final prediction of the year, we have what I consider to be the easiest prediction of the year. It's Cherry Creek. There's a reason that they've always joke about the matchups, always being the same in 5A, and this is why they're making 6A. Cherry Creek has so many good pieces, and this is why they are ranked number one. Blake Purchase, Brady Vodica, Bubba Tan, and Angelo Petritus are among the major players on this Bruin team. Asher Weiner, Gabe Sawchuk, Roman Bradley, and Trey Stott are all weapons, but each of them has an equivalent or better on the other side of the field this weekend. I haven't seen either of these teams in person, I will admit, but everyone that I've talked to this year says this isn't the same Valor team as last year, and Cherry Creek is about the same as last year. 
A very similar Creek team crushed a Valor team 21 to 0. Cherry Creek 28, Valor Christian 7, end quote. So those are Gideon's picks. I'm going to go ahead and read off Coach V's playoff picks here in the same order. So in the Lutheran versus Roosevelt game, Coach V says, Lutheran, I literally picked this matchup in my OG bracket from before the playoffs, but questions about Ryan Riken Doggard's health made me unsure of how that game with Durango would go down. I'm going to stick with my OG bracket and have Lutheran winning state. This should be the best game of the day, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if Roosevelt finally gets that elusive state title win either. But I got to go with my gut and go with the Lehigh Lions, who are due a state championship win. So Coach V taking Lutheran. That's one and one here at PMC. Then in 4A, Coach V says Broomfield. Some late game heroics from this Broomfield defense earned them a win last week. Now they face a tough Loveland squad who won by three points last week against a very good Palmer Ridge team. I trust Cola Crew to find a way to get it done when it matters and clinch a perfect season. This will be a hard-hitting game, and Loveland won't go down without a fight, but Broomfield has my pick. So that's two picks for Broomfield now. Now, Coach V in the Cherry Creek versus Valor Christian game. Coach V says, Props to Valor for battling through and getting a well-deserved win over Rouse Valley. They've earned a lot of respect from me this season, and I can see them winning states sooner than later. But for now, I gotta go with Cherry Creek. Creek has not failed me these past years when it mattered, and I trust them to find a way to get it done for the 4P. This state championship should be the most competitive Creek versus Valor game in years, I-M-O, in my opinion, end quote. So that's one and one in 3A for Roosevelt and Lutheran, two picks for Broomfield and two picks for Creek. As for myself here on the 3A level, I'm going to take Roosevelt here. I've been high on them. I've predicted them to win state for the past two years now. And I think that they can finally get that monkey off their back. They've just been so balanced. And I don't think that Lutheran's pace is going to shell shock Roosevelt as much as it has a lot of their other opponents so far this postseason. I think that LSR Valencia is a better pass rusher than most that Lutheran has faced. I think they're very balanced and disciplined. And I think that Tucker Peterson is also going to turn up in this game at safety, being one of the better athletes that they've faced. And then the Roosevelt offense is one that can pass the ball if they need to. So I don't think that they're going to get trapped in a hole where they find themselves not being able to score. Um, But, you know, this Luhai team is going to probably still score like 24 to 30 points so Roosevelt will have to eclipse that which they are capable of even with their foot you know not on the gas as much against Green Mountain they were able to do much of the same so that's kind of where my thought process is would not be surprised if Lutheran won and Coach V is going to luck out with probably the best game of the day Broomfield versus Loveland this is my original for a bracket pick and I think I'm going to stick with it here with Broomfield winning 19 to 12 I gotta agree with the point that Gideon made that Broomfield's variety on offense will go a long way Loveland is very one-dimensional um Garrett Harstead obviously had a great game last week running for over 200 yards but 80 of those came on one single run here I think that the Broomfield defense is the most clutch defense in the state, and I think that that will show this week. I don't think they're not going to snap it over anybody's head here to end. They're not going to, you know, the inexperience or youth isn't here. These are both senior-laden teams that are going to have opportunities. They're going to punch each other in the mouth over and over again, but I like Broomfield to win this one 19-12. In 5A, I got to go with Creek. I know it's a boring pick, but... 
I mean, the amount of D1 guys they have on that defense just is so suffocating. And, uh, you know, Valor, they're not going to get shut out this year. I think that this could even be, you know, like a one-score game, like a 24-17 or 24-21, something like that. But it could end up, I could probably see more of a, like, 24-14 probably game here. Um, Look, Valor exploded for 42 points against Ralston Valley last week. Um, But, uh, you know, Creek also exploded. And, you know, they're freshman QB Brady Vodka might be better than Hammond even was last year as a junior so that is something scary so my picks here going with Roosevelt Broomfield and Cherry Creek so those are going to do it for our end of the year predictions who do you think is going to win make sure that you comment on our social media posts who you think is going to win the state championships here now before we go don't think that we weren't going to talk about Code Red Coaching's Playmakers of the Week here. Code Red Coaching, where the grind to greatness starts with the mind. Make sure to check them out at coderedcoaching.com or go ahead and email them rosecj.6599 at gmail.com or call today at 720-979-1914. Go ahead and check out coderedcoaching.com for your mental performance needs and give code red coaching a call here 720-979-1914 and listen to who they think is the mentally performer the mental performers i should say of this week and the physical performance for pmc here as we choose our playmakers of the week brought to you by code red coaching so playmaker of the week candidates here on the 5a level it's got to be between one of two guys ishmael cc and Roman Bradley Ishmael Cece having a very very solid game catching three touchdowns against this vaunted you know this vaunted uh Pine Creek secondary he went off for like 123 yards but I'm going to have to give the edge and crown the playmaker of the week to Roman Bradley here he did everything for this Valor team on defense he had seven tackles and a team leading three tackles for loss he also registered a sack and then on the offensive side of the ball he was their lead rusher here at 142 yards on 11 carries and two scores making him the leading scorer of the day as well roman bradley your 5a week 14 playmaker of the week on the 4a level there's definitely some good picks here you know you got cola crew obviously 25 carries for 145 yards and two, four touchdowns and then passing nine of 16 for 103 yards and the win over erie obviously but for loveland i think that there's two solid contributions here garrett harstad 26 carries for 207 yards and the touchdown but I'm going to give it to a defensive guy in that defensive game. Like I said, the final score, 10-7 to 7 being that game. And I'm going to give it to Caden Stansberry. Eight tackles, team leading two and a half tackles for loss, a forced fumble, a fumble recovery, and a sack in this game. Great defensive performance out of a bunch of Red Wolves that stood out in the pack. I would call Caden Stansberry the alpha wolf here in this game. And the... Week 14, 4A, Playmaker of the Week. On the 3A level, 
couple of great candidates here. Riken Doggard of Luhai, Ryan Kenny of Luhai, and then Elazar Valencia, you know, his nine tackle, three TFL performance in that 30 to three win over Green Mountain is electric. But I'm going to have to double back to the guy at the top of this list here. You know, Ryan Kenny was solid, but Riken Doggard, 17 of 27, four touchdowns, no interceptions, 207 yards, and just absolutely picking apart this Durango defense to send Lutheran to the state championship that they were so close to reaching last year and Riken getting them there this year. Riken Doggard, your 3A playmaker of the week. Now in 2A, as mentioned in the game, there were some solid options here. Obviously, Walker Martin won the Chassa, you know, MVP award for this game with his throwing and passing touchdown or throwing and rushing touchdown. However, I'm going to have to give it to the closer here. Morgan Trebet rushed for over 100 yards for sure. Had that touchdown that was the final nail in the coffin. And then also a sack on the ensuing drive to, you know, close the book on this Eaton triple crown here this Eaton three Pete and more gains Trebet is only going to continue to do his thing you know uh, heading forward as he becomes a CSU Ram and on the 1A level I gotta be honest th- there are some names that I can mention here obviously tell Wade if Ray won would have been the guy but it's the 1A MVP making plays when it matters most, Gabe Shubarth, having the one reception for 24 yards and that critical first down that led to a touchdown for Lyman. But the 28 carries for 137 yards and three touchdowns, look, it got to the point where it's like, hey, you are close in this game. Just keep handing it off to Gabe and you will come out victorious. Coach V made a great comparison as far as the role that he plays for this Lyman team is like a Derrick Henry on the Titans. You keep handing it off to him and you keep letting him run into those defenders. He's eventually going to break. He's going to get big gains and he's going to find pay dirt for you. And that's exactly what Shubarth did as the 1A playmaker of the week in the championship game. So to run through those again, 1A Playmaker of the Week, Gabe Shubarth of your 1A state champ, Lyman Badgers. The 2A Playmaker of the Week, Morgan Trebet of Eaton, your three-peat triple crown state champs in 2A. On the 3A level, Riken Doggard, the quarterback out of High here, who has sent Lutheran to the state championship, four touchdowns, 207 yards. On the 4A level, the defensive stalwart Caden Stansberry, eight tackles, two and a half of those, four loss, a forced fumble, a fumble recovery, and a sack in Loveland's narrow 10-7 ascension to state for the second time in three years. And then the 5A playmaker of the week, Roman Bradley, seven tackles, three of those for loss, a sack, and then on the offensive side of the ball, just absolutely carving up the Mustangs for 142 yards on 11 carries and two scores. Those playmakers of the week, once again, brought to you by Code Red Coaching. Go ahead and check them out, coderedcoaching.com, or call today at 720-979-1914. Thank you for presenting our playmakers of the week, and thank you all for listening and staying tuned here. Make sure to continue to Follow us, like us, subscribe to us on 
YouTube, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Anchor as we have more content coming out for you. We are getting into you know the end of the year, so we have one more recap for you for 3A, 4A, 5A. Stay tuned for that for a week from today here. On Friday, though, do stay tuned for our 5A awards here, which I think is going to be a really exciting time. And then make sure to stay tuned as well for every Friday following that as we start to dive into our top five senior position groups here and get the ball rolling on that. So stay tuned for all of that content. If you want to see when that's announced, make sure to follow us on social media, whether that's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok. TikTok going to be having end-of-the-year award talks on there, so go ahead and check us out at Playmakers Corner. On Instagram, obviously, our episode covers and our story are always posting there. We're going to be posting highlights from the state championship games as well on our story, so make sure to stay tuned for that stuff here for you know, the upcoming weekend, and then, you know, just all of our normal activities on there as well. For our Twitter, make sure to follow us at Playmaker Corner, where we will announce a lot of the same things while also retweeting lots of highlights from high school athletes here and everything that they've accomplished so far this season. And then Facebook has all the same posts as our Instagram here. Furthermore, make sure to subscribe to us on YouTube, where we've been uploading our episodes there as well. And make sure to, you know, go ahead and support us any way you can. Make sure to share with your friends, anyone in the high school football community. More than welcome for dialogue here. And, you know, looking forward to, you know, much more content, but very grateful for all of the good times we've had so far this season. Thank you all so much, PMC fam. And until next week, I'll be seeing you.